Welcome to the Next Level Occupational Therapy Podcast. My name is Kara Welke, Occupational Therapist and creator of the Next Level Occupational Therapy Platform. The goal of this podcast is to encourage, inspire, and motivate occupational therapy professionals to level up in their career, whether that be to start a new business, add a side job, and or to figure out how to be more satisfied in their current career. Hope you enjoy the show. Okay, welcome to the Next Level Occupational Therapy Podcast. My name is Kara Welke, Occupational Therapist and creator of the Next Level Occupational Therapy Platform. The goal of this podcast is to encourage, inspire, and motivate occupational therapy professionals to level up in their career, whether that be to start a new business, add a side job, write a book, hint, hint, and or to figure out how to be more satisfied in their current career. Thank you so much for listening to today's show, which is sponsored by our Therapy Business Builder programs, where we help healthcare professionals start the business of their dreams from the ground up. And please be sure to join our free Next Level Occupational Therapy Facebook group. Go check out our website, www.nextlevelot.com. There's tons of free resources on there for you. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel for some great free webinars. So my goal with this podcast is to interview occupational therapy professionals who have started their own business so that you can learn from those that have already been through the process. I am excited for all we will learn from the current occupational therapy entrepreneurs. And today I am interviewing Steve Nawatniak, who is a self-designed master's from Buffalo State College. He has a master's in occupational therapy from Utica College and is a New York State certified peer specialist. Starting in August of 2000, Steve set out on an eight month non-motorized trek of service where he hiked, biked, sailed, and canoed from Buffalo, New York to Key West, Florida. He gave presentations to over 1,000 youth on the values of volunteerism and education and completed over 230 hours of community service along the way. Two years later, in August of 2002, Steve was hospitalized for a week with a major depressive episode and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. From that point forward, Steve has spent his life learning how to live with his condition on the journey from hospitalized patient to licensed healthcare professional. Steve has spoken internationally on occupational therapy and mental health. He has also published the books Handbook for Healthy Living with a Mood Disorder in 2014 and Bipolar Life Hacks Keys to Loving Life with a Bipolar Condition, which was published in 2018. And this book is to share the skills and tools he uses daily to live what he calls a desired quality of life. And he also has a Mom's Choice award-winning children's book series, Mubu the Morph, which was published between 2015 and 2016. And this children's book series is about character development and finding yourself within. 
He believes that successful living with a condition is not merely managing and coping with its symptoms. It requires adaptability to change, mechanisms for managing challenges, and the development of skills for a fulfilling life. Utilizing an acceptance commitment therapy framework, he works with clients in a variety of activities that include identifying and implementing healthy habits, rituals and routines, establishing a support network, strengthening normal, normative life roles, exploring sensory strategies, developing approaches for self-reduction, creating strategies for financial awareness, and designing a recovery plan. In May of 2020 is when he started his own business, Compass Recovery Coaching, LLC, which focuses on providing hope and freedom around difficult emotions and feelings. So thank you so much, Steve, for being here. Um, an amazing bio. I love absolutely everything that you have done and are doing. So let's start with, tell us all about your new company. Yeah. So Compass Recovery Coaching, it's all, it's a coaching company because it's really hard to try to do mental health <clears throat> OT with reimbursement and everything. And I just got so, frankly, I just got so frustrated with it all that I decided I was just going to do self-pay coaching and get, and just start because there's not a lot of examples out there and there's a whole lot of questions. And sometimes I feel like you can get drowned in how to do something when in actuality, you just need to figure it out as you go. So, <clears throat> so Compass Re Recovery Coaching, it has the coaching component. I also created an online video course through Udemy called Emotional Peace and and also, like I said, had the books and things. So it's really just trying to help people find that, that being empowered during uncomfortable times. That's wonderful. And I hear that all the time because occupational therapies, therapists or COTAs, people wanting to start um, mental health businesses, but they do, they get bogged down with how can we do this? How do we deal with insurance? Um, and you just did it and are doing it through coaching and having it um, be cash-based. So what is your population that you work with? What ages or demographics um, yeah, all online? Much it's, um, I, have, I share an office space with a social worker, so I'm able to do it in person and online. Um, <clears throat> pretty much it's young adults is who I've been getting mostly. Um, and the, the demographics needs to be somebody where I'm not doing counseling. So, so people, and, and I don't do the math. So people have to have that bit fundamental stability piece. Um, but then it's a matter of how do you live with it? So with Compass Recovery Coaching, my, my philosophy is there's basically three phases to working with it. The first phase is it's called psychological flexibility. And that's how do you, what are the mental tools that you can use to help shift your perspective when facing an uncomfortable situation or internal feeling into a more empowered state and, and, and soften the intensity of the discomfort. The second step is to become clear, to clarify what are your values and, and purpose and passions. And then the third step is how do I create a lifestyle that allows me to live out those passions and purposes um, in my life and even you know, during uncomfortable times. Because 
from my experiences from, from my bipolar experience with that journey, I've had to learn how do I look at this experience from different angles. Um, and then, and then life is different when you're living out of purpose and passion than it is out of obligation or coping. Those are two totally different paradigms and worlds. And so I find that if you can tap into that passion and that purpose, that gives you energy and vitality and meaning to work through some of the discomfort and some of the pain. And then the second piece is the lifestyle part. Like, how do I create it in my daily habits? How do I, how do, I um, do activities like sensory activities that help calm me when I'm having the, the up of the hypomania or the depression, the down of the depression or the difficulty of the anxiety? Like, like how do you self-regulate yourself so that you can keep moving forward in purposeful, meaningful activities, even if you're feeling uncomfortable? And it's, there's a difference between happiness and fulfillment. So happiness is a fleeting feeling. And it's really hard to be happy when you're in an uncomfortable situation or feeling difficult, or like I mean, when I'm in the throes of my depressive episodes or the anxiety episodes, it's really hard to be happy. I don't know how to do that. But what I have found is that you can be fulfilled because you're living life of purpose, even if you're feeling uncomfortable. And actually the ability to live passions during pain is the key that actually translates into inspiration. So it's just kind of defining some of those things. And that's kind of what we work on with the coaching. So this is kind of a side note, but it sounds yeah. like you've developed a really good framework that maybe someday you could possibly teach other health occupational therapy professionals to utilize and do a practice like this? Would absolutely love to. I, um, so I have like the, the initial course and just kind of getting out there teaching this stuff, but it is, it's on my little to-do radar where I would love to do continuing education credit courses. And I think putting something like this in that framework would be an awesome, fun thing to do and can really help out. And, and um, I'm excited. I, I was able to um, work with the mental health special interest section with AOTA and get involved with that. And I really think that there's a lot of value in helping share that peer perspective with our professional understanding and bringing and helping to marry those things. So there's, there's definitely some things ahead to try and look at doing. Yeah. So when a client comes to you, you kind, I mean, you start and you go through those phases with them and is it like, I mean, do you have in your mindset, like how long you work with clients or is it a lifelong kind of time frame you're working with clients or how does that work? Well, my initial goal when I created the business, I was thinking like 10 sessions because I'm not interested in keeping you. I'm interested in helping give you skills and tools so you can go build your life. And then if you want to ever want to check back or, or have an accountability person or anything like that, we can create that structure. But I'm not, but my model isn't that you're, you're with me forever because I want you to, I want you to take the next step, you know? Um, so what I tend to do is I, what's really important to me is that my client can have value out of the session. So I'm not looking at it like we have to like write goals on the first day and do this evaluation on the first, I, what I look at is um, what's one, how do we work on a skill or a tool? So after the first session, you're walking away with something. And then as you define your values, then we can look at your goals based on your values. And then we can start moving from there. So that's kind of the model that I work with. 
Um, I've had sessions where it ends up being talking the whole session because that's where the person's at and they're not ready to, 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 to learn a skill. They're just needing to vent. Um, but I've had other times where people have been, you know what, those two skills helped me and I'm all set and I'm ready to go. And I'm like, beautiful. So it kind of, it, while I may have like 10 sessions in my head, it varies tremendously based on the person. Okay, perfect. Which is, I mean, what we're all about being client centered and doing what they need and so forth. So do you offer packages or do you just do by individual sessions then? Right now I'm doing individual sessions. Like I've been coached that it's better to do packages and, and all that kind of stuff from a financial perspective to be able to make more money. Um, and then people are committing to a program and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think that that's a better place to go. But for starting, because I'm just trying to figure stuff out, I'm, I, I'm just doing it per session. And one of the other challenges that I find is, is we've done a really bad job of branding ourselves. Mm-hmm. So number one, people really don't understand what occupational therapy is. And number two, when people think mental health and mental wellness, people are not thinking occupational therapy. So I'm finding that I have to do a lot of educating people and providers of who I am and what I do to get the ball rolling. So instead of trying to sell a package, I'm just, I'm just getting out. Trying to get in there. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just starting, just starting and, and seeing what can be done. Well, you know, when you talked about how, you know, you have to individualize it for the person. I mean, it's kind of hard to offer a package when, you know, they might not need 10 sessions and they might need, you know, more or less or whatever, but, you know, yeah, maybe a base package just to get started and then, you know, add on depending on what people need. So referral sources, where are your primary referral sources coming from? Um, Right now it's kind of word of mouth. Like I, talk to my church and my, my pastor to refer people who maybe need a little bit or, or um, like a, the social worker that I share the office space with and, and um, my full-time job, I work at a psychiatric hospital. So there's some, some providers in there that have their own private practices and it just kind of word of mouth and starting it. Okay. Um, there's, there's no magic. I, I haven't found a magic, a magic pill to make that all happen. Right, but, um, right. You know. Well, and um, that's the best way to go. I mean, getting started with friends, family, people that know you, colleagues that know you, and then just branching out to, you know, collaborating with all of these other mental health providers um, and people who work with clients to let them know what you do. Because, like you said, so many people haven't a clue that us as occupational therapy professionals are can be very skilled in helping clients. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of education, a lot mm-hmm. of, and, and the other part that it is really important is to be able to describe your niche because people say, well, what, what is it that you do? And, 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 and being able to create that elevator pitch, I'm working on it still, but to be able to be able to clearly distinguish how you're different or complementary to counseling and other different kinds of programs. Like where's, where's that sweet spot that you do and what do you do differently and better? And that's an important piece of understanding. Can I put you on the spot and have you share your elevator pitch? Like if I'm someone just in the general public, what would you say to me about what you do and why I should come to you or send clients to you or whatever? 
Yeah, my my pitch, I basically talk, I talk about my program. I basically say um, the biggest thing with working with discomfort is that you have not only the, the mental tools to be able to look at something from a variety of situations to empower you in that process, but it's also clear, clarity of values. And then how do you implement those inside of a lifestyle? So I look at a package piece. I don't I don't psychoanalyze or try to to determine like unpack trauma or worry or that kind of history stuff. Um, what I'm focused on is is what are the skills that help? Um, how do we clarify what we're about? And then how do we live them? And that's what I do. Awesome. And then if someone would say, do you compliment people going to like psychologist or you know to see a psychologist or psychiatrist or a social worker or you know, do you compliment them or are you looking at replacing those services? Gotcha. I, I, I consider myself complimentary. Now, at the end of the day, here's, at the end of the day, what matters is that a person has a set of skills that works for them to have a fulfilling and quality of life that works for them. That, that's the end game. Then it becomes, what are, the, what are the people, what are the relationships, what are the skills that support that? For some people, counseling is appropriate and, and it's needed. Um, other people may not be there. Um, my techniques are bait, have, have roots in like acceptance, commitment therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, different kinds of programs like that. So the, the topics and the tools that I talk about in the coaching can very easily be talked about in the counseling session to support them and develop them. Right. So, so it's meant to be, so it can very much be complimentary. I'm not out to replace a counselor. Do you find with your current clients that you tend to collaborate with the other professionals that they're seeing or have you not ventured into that yet? Um, I, I often will say talk like, like I've, I've had some clients that have counselors and go to counseling. And I have said, take what we're talking here and share it with your counselor. Like I, I encourage them to discuss those, those skills and tools and let the counselor know what we're doing. So that way, number one, it's integrated. And number two, in a pseudo-marketing thing, I'm trying to help through them have the, the counselor here, hey, something's going good and maybe this can be supportive and, and, and maybe I can start developing a relationship that way. Um, yeah, I see it as dual purpose, as one, you know, that collaboration. So you guys are working together to help the client. And two, you're letting them know who you are, what you do, and how you can supplement what they do. And so you can develop a relationship where maybe you're seeing more of their um, clients that they work with. Have you had any clients that you've started with and you're like, no, you're not right for me. You need to go to this discipline or are they like, how do you make sure that the people coming to you are the right fit? Um, I, 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 Right off the bat, I talk about the difference between coaching and counseling. And I say that I'm not, a, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't do counseling. So what I'm looking at is how do we support you in moving forward with your goals and building that lifestyle. And then based on kind of where someone's at, I'll, I'll suggest where to go or what to do. I haven't had to tell somebody, well, I can't help you. <laughs> and I don't, and I try not and that's not exactly where I want to go, but I will encourage them and suggest that. So some of the stuff that could very much help you with some counseling, and that should be a person as part of your team and wellness team. And so I would encourage them to find a counselor to be able to help talk about some of that stuff. Um, because we don't, if there's one thing this pandemic has taught us is that we're not solo creatures. We do not do everything ourselves. It's interdependent and it's about working with people. 
And so having a team of people that can support you in your wellness is a really important and valuable thing to do. So what we want to do is make sure we have the right people on the team. Yeah, that's awesome. In fact, um, just, I mean, just today I was kind of frustrated um, just with the situation with a new client who's been with a non-medical home care agency and the non-medical home care agency reached out to me to see this client, but I wish they would have reached out to me a long time ago. And I had to explain to them like, you know, this is a perfect referral, um, but we really need to be working with these clients a lot sooner. And we're a team to help people. Like I'm not coming in to try to steal business from you. In fact, by working together, hopefully you'll have this client for a lot longer. Um, so I just thinking that us out there as healthcare professionals need to reach out, collaborate and and work more together with all the different team members out there versus worrying about someone maybe stealing my client or whatever. So I just think it's really valuable. And the more people that are in that can help, like I'm certified in the skills to care program and work with a lot of people with um, dementia and we work closely with the Alzheimer's association. So like our clients, they get the value of us. They get the value of the team from the Alzheimer's Association. And we work together versus, you know, just one of us. I'm not going to let them work with you. Um, so having that team and that network, I think, is really important. So I like that. Absolutely. Um, so do you think with your business the way it is that you could eventually add on staff? Or do you think it's like you doing this coaching business and that's what you see in the future or do you foresee growing it where you can bring in other OTs could you bring in occupational therapy assistants to work with you in this type of um, business model or where do you see long-term going sure so currently I'm working full-time in a psychiatric center and doing this on the side um, I would love to grow into this and, and I look at this um, kind of globally in the sense of, yes, there's the one-to-one -one coaching, but I also want the courses um, and, and the YouTube channel with the different videos and everything to support what are skills and tools that are done, as well as like a personal vlog of what is it like living with a bipolar condition? What are this, what, what do the symptoms feel like? Like today, I just did one on um, what does it feel like to have a hypomanic episode? And so physiologically, what does it feel like? What do I do to help self-regulate? All that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the global piece that I, that I see it going. I would love to have kind of a multidisciplinary approach um, because I, I truly believe that it's, it's, it's three things that make the difference is that there's, there's I mean, in the case of, of my bipolar condition, it's the medication, it's the counseling, and it's the occupational therapy. And it's all working together that makes it possible because it's not because the medication softens the symptoms. It doesn't make them go away. It just softens them. The counseling helps out with some of the processing of the shame and the guilt that's associated with having a mental illness diagnosis um, and some of that kind of stuff. And it helps out with those psychological tools, that psychological flexibility. But OT is what I find, OT is the applying of it and creating a lifestyle and putting it in the day-to-day -day habits and rituals and routines. And then, so I, I see definitely having people on board as part of that team to grow and develop. Um, do I know how I'm gonna do that right now? Having a clue. 
but um, that's the direction that I see this thing going. And I, and I really do think that we're in a digital world right now. So having that online presence is a really important part of the business model. Um, there's also the reality of I can only do so much one-on-one or, or in a small group. You know what I mean? Like there's only so much, so many people I can help. But by having the YouTube channel with the videos that anybody can watch at any point in time, anywhere in the world, with having the books, with having the courses, I feel like I, I'm able to help support more people than I could by myself. And so right. that's why I really want to have that digital footprint. So I love your model of having the multidisciplinary, I can, multidisciplinary clinic. So would that be like a psychiatrist for the medication route or does, or like a general practitioner or like, what is your idea for that position? Sure. Well, I mean, basically there's lots of people that can prescribe meds. It could be a, like, you know, there, there's, there's nurses that at the right level, I can't remember the right name of it, but it, but there's a certain level of a, a nurse that can. Like a nurse practitioner. It. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there's different people. So having a person that can take care of the medication piece mm-hmm. would be really good. And then eight, and then people that can do counseling pieces will be really good. And then, and then the OTs that can help implement the thing could be really good. Yeah. I think that would be, I think that's the perfect model. And then the other piece I do not want to shortchange is the peer movement and the value of peers who have the lived experience that can also be there saying, you know what, I have it too. I'm with you. Um, and we can work through this together. Now on a side note, I'm sorry, I totally am interrupting you, but no, on go. A side note, I really think there's a place for a, a, a niche with peer professionals, because a lot of times when people think of peers and people with mental health conditions, they're thinking of people that are unemployed or having difficulty working but there's a huge group of people that are professionals that have a mental health condition and you don't see it because of the stigma and because it doesn't, well, because of the stigma. And so I think that there's a huge niche of, of people who are social workers, our counselors, our occupational therapists, everybody who we have a mental health condition, we're living with a mental health condition and we're healthcare providers. I think we can, there's a huge niche there that can really provide some really good support to be able to bring the lived experience, the wisdom of the lived experience with the intelligence of the professional education. Well, and that's kind of what I was going to ask you, like, what is your ideas for that peer support? Was it, you know, kind of what you just talked about or do you foresee incorporating groups into your practice um have you thought about that or how do you or the peer mentors have you thought about how you're gonna maybe incorporate that in the future um i definitely think groups would be good um like like i do help facilitate a peer professional support group in buffalo and like we have a social worker in there, we've had teachers in there, we had a doctor in there at one point in time, and they're just like professionals with that lived experience that are, because how do you juggle the, how do you juggle the needs of the condition with the responsibilities of professionalism and the difficulty of disclosure and all those kinds of things that mm-hmm. happen with that? Like, like that's, that's a very difficult world to, to navigate. But I, I do think having peers or having groups or having something, some kind of a network of, of, hey, you have it, I have it, we have it. And we're working through this together, I think is an important component. And where would you see tying this in? Like when they first, I mean, in the future, when they first start with you mentioning, would you like a peer mentor? Would you like a group or would it be after they've completed so many sessions with you? Um, I, I think, well, I, I'm definitely a believer of whatever's available, let it be available. 
and what the person's comfortable in being able to choose it. Yeah. So I would, I would think that in, in a, I mean, again, you know, assuming I have all this stuff, <laughs> I would definitely encourage that part of the process. And then one of the nice things is, is if all this stuff is being developed and, and we have the core, um, the core course model of psychological flexibility, identifying um, values and principles, and then creating a lifestyle. If that's kind of like the underlining theme that everything's going through, then that conversation and language can be done regardless of where it is right? Uh, um, to complement and support each other. Yeah. I just think this is so awesome. I mean, Thanks. so many, so many people want to get into that mental health world as occupational therapy practitioners, and they have no idea. And, you know, if they can learn from you and like the model that you're setting up, if, you know, kind of replicated and getting more people going, um, we might need to chat afterwards um, when we talk about our therapy business builder program and how we can steer more people this way that are interested in the mental health world. I love it. So my husband's a psychologist. I don't know if I told you that or not. Oh, no, that's awesome. So yeah, his um, specialty is anxiety um, and grief work is, you know, what his love is and what he kind of specializes in. But, but yeah, I am. Um, he always tends to give me a bad time that us as occupational therapists think we can do everything from, you know, handwriting to surgery. And I'm like, well, we can, no, I mean, not surgery. I know, but he likes to tease me, um, with all the things that we do do. Um, but yeah, I love, I love everything about this. So let's, before we talk about the books, tell me when you first started or how long ago was it when you first thought, I want to open my own practice or my start my own business? So I've thought about it for a long time. And frankly, I've been nervous. You know, it's, it's like, and a lot of it was afraid of, because there wasn't a model out there to follow. I didn't know how it was going to look. I didn't know what, what it was going to be like. I was afraid, am I going to stick my neck out and try it and then have it lopped off because some big bad wolf in a bush came out and jumped and got me like, like all that kind of stuff was going on. Um, and really the, it started because my um, social worker friend basically turned around and said, so you can share my office and I have a client for you. And then I became, okay, well now I have no excuse. So I started with one. That was it. And I said, okay, I guess I'm trying. And that's how it started. That's awesome. Well, and sometimes that's the push you need to get going with it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's how it started. And then with, you know, the pandemic is an interesting, that's been an interesting piece because on one token, the, there's been an increase in need for mental health. And I think everybody has been feeling that need and feeling the value of it. on the other token. Um, there's not as much interactions to do education with face-to-face. -face, so that makes it tough. And like I mentioned before, we've done a horrible job branding ourselves. So it's really hard to get yourself out there if people don't know what you do or don't know who you are to begin with. So it's been this challenge of that. And that's, that's part of the reason why I've been pushing to the digital component, because I figured that I try to have the digital world help work for me as well. Right, right. So just out of curiosity, I mean, you said you wanted to start your business for a long time, like years, like how many years do you think you've been thinking about it? Actually, the funny thing is, is I've been thinking about it ever since um, I went to OT school. So, so real quick going that, that's like 10 years ago. So here's what happened is that um, 
just a real quick click on my journey of how I got here was I ended up joining, um, I had tried doing some work after um, my hospitalization with severe depression and trying to like learn how to live with this thing. So when I was first diagnosed, there was a lot of shame and guilt around having it, but then it became this anger of saying, so if I'm going to have this thing, I might as well master it and be an expert on it. So then it became trying to figure out how the heck do you live with this thing? And I ended up joining VESA, which it's now Access VR in New York State, but it stands for Vocational Educational Support for Individuals with Disabilities. That was hard for me to say that I have a disability and that, yeah, that was hard for me to say. Um, but anyway, that introduced me to Occupational Therapy Assistant Program. And when I went there, when they started to talk about energy conservation and sensory integration, that's when my world clicked. Because before it was a matter of coping with symptoms, talk about your feelings, um, that kind of a thing. And it wasn't an empowering life. It wasn't an empowering paradigm. But when I got into occupational therapy, we started to talk about energy conservation. And that clicked for me for when I'm going through my depressive time. Okay, I can pace myself. I can, I can separate it out. I can, I can do things in stages. I don't have to do it all at one shot and give myself permission to rest in between and have natural rest breaks along the way. And then it was sensory integration when my body is in internal discomfort, being able to use sounds and smells and, and, and deep pressure to help regulate that internal chaos. Ah, that started to click. And then the, the importance of having a schedule and a routine. When we started to talk about it, that's when, that's when it all clicked with me on how to live with this thing, not cope with this thing. Those are two different things. And then it's started to be, oh, this would be perfect to do. So then I was trying to figure it out and I would do it in school. And of course, you know, you're a student and you have all the great ideas in the world, but you have no idea what to do or how to do it. And then that's, then it's been rolling around like a marble in my head ever since. Then. That's awesome. Um, and everyone, I mean, that's sometimes that's what it takes is one thing that actually puts it in practice. Like you're social work colleagues saying, I have a client, here you go, let's do it. Um, because you've been thinking about and wanting to do this for years. And then all of a sudden, one day that happened and now you're doing it. So that's pretty awesome. I love it. Okay. So can we talk about your books a little bit? Because I sure. know a lot of people <laughs> would love to write books, publish books and so forth, but how the heck do you do it? Where do you start? I mean, and you have um, two books and a children's series out there. Um, just tell us a little bit about that process, why you wrote them, um, how you were able to get them published and how you were able to get like a mom's award-winning series for your children's book. I mean, that's pretty awesome awards that you've gotten as well. Thanks. So there, <clears throat> um, so first of all, to start writing a book, to just start writing, you take a blank sheet of paper and you write down, I have no idea how to write this book. <laughs> I'm the first. Now, now you don't have a blank sheet of paper anymore. <laughs> and then you just start brain dumping. And then, and then, oh, I have this idea and I have that idea. And, and it's basically a whole bunch of notes. It's just, oh, this is a thought. This is a thought. This is a thought. And then after a few periods of time, then you'll have periods where things start to click and you start to write a little bit more. And then you have other times where you're like, oh, that stunk and I'm going to erase it. Um, but, but it's just, you put words on the page. You just, you just, you just put words on the page and then over time it starts to theme out. And if you have, and if you have a, um, uh, <clears throat> if you have a, an outline, okay, I, I know that I want to talk like, for example, when I did the, 
um, bipolar life hacks, keys to loving life with a bipolar disorder. I knew I wanted to talk about stigma. I knew I wanted to talk about finances. I knew I wanted to talk about um, the, the, what separates um, me from my condition. So I, I knew there were topics. And so I would list out those topics and then I would come back and fill them out with information. So it's like I said, it's just putting words on a paper and starting. And even if the first sentence you say is, I have this idea and I know how, and I have no idea how to write it, it, it takes away the blank paper. So, um, so that's how to start writing a book. Now getting published, I, I didn't find a major publisher to do it. Um, and I will admit some of my hypomania helped me a little bit because it just got me going. Um, so there's this really cool online program called uh, Draft to Digital is the name of the program. And you can write it and upload it. And then there's, they're a self-publishing platform and they actually go ahead and have the, the connections with like Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, um, all these different ebook places where people can download it from. And they, you can, they help get it to all those different distributors. So you're, you're responsible for doing the content, but they have supports to help write the book. So self-publishing was kind of the way that I ended up going with those books. For the children's books, um, I started to realize from writing a book that writing a book is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Writing a book is like going to college. You do all this paperwork in order to get the product, in order to get the diploma. And then in order to make money, you got to go to work, right? So, so, you, so you can do all this time and energy to write the book. And then you got the book, but you don't get money until you sell the book. And selling the book is like, like you're going to work, right? So um, in learning that, I started to realize you have to try to, try to leverage different systems to, to, to help market the book. And through the, the movie, the more series, what I decided is I wanted to be the books as like part of a fundraiser. So there was the Museum of Disability History here in, in Buffalo, New York, um, and People Inc. is the company, the nonprofit company that does it, and People Inc. Press was their, their publishing arm. And so I went to them with the book because I figured, I think, I just think it would be cool that the books are help act as a fundraiser for them. And so that's how I got those three books um, distributed. I, I, I wrote the first book, Move with the Morph, and I had it written. And basically, I just started looking for an illustrator, and I was in a farmer's market one day, and a friend connected me with this illustrator, and I told him the story from the top of my head, and he fell in love with the story. And he said, I'll be your illustrator. So he became my illustrator for the three books. So oh. it was just kind of a whole lot of just, it's, it's, it's a whole lot of like turning over stones. There's, there's, I don't know of a magical way to make it happen simply. I think you just kind of put yourself out there, and your passion sells sells the idea right so like when you were writing the book do you, did you have someone like go through and help you with like how to format it or things like that as well yeah i um i had some friends do some proofreading with it um with with draft to digital they have they help you with how to format the book um and they give you the guidelines and then you upload the the um, manuscript you upload it into the system and the system turns it to an electronic. So bipolar life hacks, keys to loving life with a bipolar disorder. That's just an ebook. Okay. That's not a print book right now. Okay. But, um, and, um, and, but handbook for healthy living, I wrote to be a workbook where there would be like descriptions on one side and then, and then um, open page with spaces to be able to write it on the other. That one I went through iUniverse.com. 
and they ended up being the publisher and, and they had some help, but you know, with self-publishing, you pay for most of the stuff yourself. Right. So, so I would say that draft to digital would be, I was, was a really good way to do it. Okay. And do you have other books um, that you plan on publishing anytime soon? Um, right now I'm focusing on the, um, the YouTube channel and the video courses. I, right now I want to, I want to focus on that, that, that um, visual yep. paradigm. That's what I want to focus on. Are there ideas for books in the future? Yeah. Um, but right now I'm focusing on the visual and the video component. How long did it take you from start to finish with your books? To like write them, publish them, or, you know, through the whole process? Um, it, it, the Handbook for Healthy Living was my first book through iUniverse. That one took the longest because I really didn't know what the heck I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing, but I knew less of what I was doing back then. Um, and that one probably took about a year. Okay. Writing it and, and, and figuring it out and getting it drafted. And, and again, part of that was nerves. Mm -hmm. You know, there's one thing just to be able to know what you're doing and do it. There's another thing to be like, what am I doing? How do I do this? And I'm scared to put myself out there. That fear factor took a lot of time to get over. Um, the bipolar life hacks, keys to loving life with a bipolar disorder. That one happened a lot faster because I already had some concepts from Handbook for Healthy Living that I put in. I, I took some of those concepts and, and, and then added to them in the ebook. And I had a little bit more understanding. So that one probably took maybe closer to six months because there was the, the, e, the ebook, Handbook for Healthy or, or um, Bipolar Life Hacks, that's a short book. They're all little um, like half pages to a page tops of information. So they're, so they're easy to digest and easy to, easy to read. Um, and then I wanted it to be short and concise. So that one took less time. Um, the, the children's books, um, I kind of wrote some of those when I was in my hypomanic moments when the, the words and the ideas were flowing. So those kind of came out real quick and they're like a page. If you were to, if you were to write the story out, it's like a single page. Um, okay. So it's not a lot of words. What took the longest time there was the illustrator drawing them. And that took the longest time. Um, so that's kind of how those went. Do you recommend occupational therapy professionals write books? I would say this. I would say, I think writing a book is fun and scary and worth doing. There's something about saying I have something that represents what I've done. It's like, it's like you're leaving a footprint. It's, it's like there's part of you that's, that, that you're leaving something behind for someone to do something with. I think it's cool, that whole concept. Um, I wouldn't, again, you know, I don't think our, our practice is going to make us millionaires writing a book but if you're going into coaching to have a book or some kind of information that you did is a really powerful tool because it helps establish credibility um and also you know it, it, it's fun to put it out there but that it, it, consider it a, a glorified business card more so than a than a passive residual income maker right right okay awesome love it Okay, let's go to your YouTube channel because that's your yes. focus now. Can you tell us more about your YouTube channel? Yes, I'm super excited about that one. Um, so basically what I decided 
was that I, I want to use my lived experience and education to help kick the can of understanding of mental health and mental health treatment further down the road. So for me, this is kind of a legacy to leave of what, what has this journey with the bipolar condition been like? How does it feel? What, what, how do I learn from experience how to do this thing as a way to collect all those thoughts? So I have a vlog on there where I share different thought processes and, print and paradigms and, and perspectives and that kind of thing. Then I, so that's one playlist. I have another playlist that I, that I call, it's, good, it's like the skills, the tools, the life hacks. Um, what, are the, what are the actual tools that I use to build my lifestyle? And so a huge one there, the first one is the acceptance ladder and which I'll explain about in a little bit, but just to, just to say, so, that, so that's the skills and the tools. So the first playlist is the vlog. Second is the skills and tools. Then I have, um, I've done some video trailers on, uh, on the uh, bipolar life hacks and the, and the digital online video course. So I did, I was able to get some trailers made of those. So that's the second, that's a third playlist and the fourth playlist are the children's books. So it's just kind of a way to put everything that I've done into one format. So everybody, so people can see everything. So that's kind of the video. That's awesome. That's, that's how, what did the YouTube you, is. how did you learn how to really utilize YouTube um, or use it to help? I mean, I don't know. How did you learn how to do all the different playlists? What would be good on YouTube? How are you getting the YouTube channel out there? Um, tell us more about learning this process and you know what you hope to really get out of it, I guess. Yeah. So the learning of it is this, is that um, uh, I opened it up, I clicked on YouTube button and it popped up <laughs> and there's this little thing on the top that says create. And so when you click create, there's two options. There's live and upload. So I had, I, I made, I literally, I used my phone and I talked to the phone and I was scared as all heck as I talked to the phone and the phone was shaking all over the place because I was so scared. I couldn't hold it straight. And I made a two minute clip and then I hit upload. <laughs> and so that's how it started. And then, and then there's, there's a whole lot of videos and, and courses out there on how to gain subscribers and how to develop a YouTube channel. And so I'm in the learning process of all that. But one of the biggest things that I've gotten from the courses is don't worry about perfect. Create content and put the content out there and know, know that your first videos are not going to be the best videos. But um, there's, there's mediocre, there's good, and there's perfect. Don't worry about perfect. Go for good. Good is good enough. And because at the end of the day, it's not the polished bells and whistles that matter. What matters is the content. And at the end of the day, someone's getting value out of that video. That's what matters. So as long as it's content that's that's um, desirable, then people will go on to it. So I've, I've had it for about, I, I've, the good news is that because of all these years of trying to do this, I've had a lot of content that I put onto the, onto the YouTube channel. Um, so I have the content on there. I'm now learning how to market. Okay. Awesome. So what is the name of your YouTube channel? It is compass recovery coaching. Okay. So, so that's everyone... the name of it. Yep. And there's, well, there's another video of um, a person it, compass recovery coaching. And she has a video with when it's like recovery, like, like rehab, like alcohol. Um, and so that can come up too, but my channel is Compass Recovery Coaching and you'll see my face 
so that way you'll know it's me. Okay. And do you recommend recommend that occupational therapy professionals that are doing businesses or writing books or creating courses have a YouTube channel? I think it's an incredible resource. Um, and you know, like you can connect your YouTube channel to a website and, and and I think there's a lot of value in creating informational video and putting it out there. And it's amazing how when people do Google searches, videos come up. Like, like, and YouTube is, I think, the second biggest search engine to Google. Like, people are on YouTube all the time. So it's a way to get your stuff out there and, and, and again, help people get to know you. Um, so that's kind of where I'm, where I'm playing. Awesome. Okay, last thing. Sorry, I'm keeping you forever, but I think I could talk to you for hours. Um, how a little bit more about your course content that you have, and what oh, like the, are like. Sure. So the 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 course the the one that I put out there is on Udemy, U D E M Y, and it's called um, Emotional Peace: um, Strategies for Mental Health and Wellness, and. Um, what it is, is it's really the format that I've talked about with um, psychological tools and to help with an empowering perspective is phase one. Phase two is clarifying values and purpose and roles. And then phase three is lifestyle stuff. So as, as I've, I've taken all that, that, that philosophy, that perspective, that game plan and made videos. And what I did is I created PowerPoint presentations and talked over the PowerPoint presentations and recorded the talk over while I was doing the PowerPoint presentations. Again, because frankly, I was nervous and I didn't know what I was doing and I was trying to get started. Um, just being transparent. So anyway, but, but put it out there because again, content is what matters, right? And so I put it out there and I'm starting to market it. Awesome. So, um, and is it for ahead. other professionals or is it for more like clients? This one's for clients, but I do think it would be, I do want to develop a, I think it'd be awesome to do a, 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 a professional version, which talks about the concepts and how to teach it and, and a little bit about where it came from. Like, so for example, I do um, one session where I introduce the concept of ACT, um, acceptance commitment therapy. And um so I introduce it because some of those principles are very valuable and I have found very helpful. But then to be able to talk a little bit more about what ACT is and, and what, the, what the background of ACT is and get all into that kind of stuff, that I think would be cool and, and for a provider component to be able to have more of that background understanding um, to be able to then help them with delivering that content. And I do think doing continuing education credits in the mental health space um, is needed. And I think there's a niche there that would be worth um, developing. Are, are you able to provide continuing education credits for any of your things? Or is that on the list to get like AOTA provider approved or? That's on the to-do list. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've been but working I, I, through that for a while. I, I mean, I want to have it sent in by the end of this month, darn it. <laughs> Yeah, and I really think that not only do I want to do the the OT provider component, but I want to find out what does it take for it to be um, psychology to count for that, to count for social worker. Because in order for us as a profession, two reasons. Number one is from a from a business standpoint, it increases the market share. Mm -hmm. 
but also from a from a philosophical kind of personal crusade point of view, people will find out more about occupational therapy when they're when they're learning a course that applies to them. And in order to develop referrals and to be able to have more credibility and to and to to re um, to get back into that mental health space, we need to be able to be like the psychologists and the social workers need to know about OT and what we're about. So if I can create um, continuing education credit courses that they, that that population group can use for their piece, then they'll find out about OT in the unique niche that we can do as well. Yeah, that would be awesome and definitely needed. Okay, so. So my list to do is really, really, really long. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. We always, yeah. But you can do it. You have all, already done some amazing things and I can't wait to see what else you come up with. And I love, I mean, I really hope that somewhere in your near future is you're teaching other professionals how to create that business you have and, and how you have the different components and so forth, because it's definitely a need. Um, and a lot of OT professionals would love to do it, I think, as well. So let's go to the tips. So what tips do you have for occupational therapy professionals that want to do what you're doing with your um, business? Gotcha. So number one, and I'll talk about the mental health space because that's what I know. Like, yeah. I, like hand therapy and clinics and all that kind of stuff. I don't know that. Um, but, but, but mental health space is, is, um, is know that there's not a big example out there to find and to follow. So you're trailblazing, which means that you got to try to figure it out as you go a little bit right now. And, and the best way to do that is to start and to start safely so, and to start with low hanging fruit, which is why I went with a coaching practice because now it's just kind of working with the person and getting started. So number one is think about that, that safest, lowest entry point that makes it doable and, and that you're not in debt up to your ears because you try to go out and you start off huge. Just start off small. Don't, don't quit your day job um, and just um, and, and get started that way. So I think that, that that's pretty much the biggest piece of advice that I would give. Awesome. Awesome. How about um, a tip for professionals that are really wanting to do it, but they're just not, they're too scared to get started. Any advice for them? I mean, besides just getting started, any like trainings or words of wisdom you can offer them to make that leap sooner than later? Sure. Um, I think you know, what helped me out a lot was clarifying what was going to be my approach. Like that, like having my model is what gave me the confidence to be able to talk about it. And then when I stepped into it, I stepped in knowing this, this, this perspective I was going to bring and, and what was going to be my niche. So <clears throat> I think spending some time figuring that part out would be really helpful. And there's a lot of life coaching programs out there. I mean, Tony Robbins has a whole bunch there. Um, there's a lot of um, John Maxwell has stuff out there. So there's a lot of coaching practices out there that can help give some of that framework and credibility. The two pieces that I'm standing on is my occupational therapy training and my peer, um, my peer certification of the lived experience 
those are the two things that I'm considering as my niche points. Awesome. Any last words of advice or anything else you want to share with our listeners? Um, I would just, if you found any value out of this conversation, um, I would really encourage you to check out the YouTube channel, um, Compass Recovery Coaching, and click the subscribe button and check out the videos. Um, and even if, you know, for yourself, but also if you're, if you're seeing somebody with, <clears throat> with the needs like for coaching or mental health and being able to share that content with them, because, you know, there is something to be able to, there's something to be able to see someone doing well in a relatable context to help provide hope and support. And I think that that's my heart behind this is to put out that resource for as many people as possible. Awesome. So one more time, what's the YouTube channel? Compass Recovery Coaching. Okay, everyone go to that and subscribe. And then your website that they should go to check out what you do is? CompassRecoveryCoaching.com. Perfect. So easy to remember. We'll put it in the podcast um, and make sure that everyone um, can find those links. So thank you so much, Steve. This has been wonderful. And thank you everyone for living, listening to the Next Level podcast. It's time for you guys to go out and get to the next level like Steve has done. And he's given you a lot of different ways you can do that, whether it's starting your own business, writing a book, getting a YouTube channel going. So thank you, Steve, for motivating all of us out there. Awesome. And then the last piece that I just want to throw out there is if you're an educator and you have classes with students and you find that it would be valuable to have someone with lived experience sharing their story, as well as an occupational therapist of how to work, how can you work with somebody with mental health and what and how do you work with it? It's, um, through my website, do a con the contact me thing. I love giving presentations to people and would do it in a heartbeat. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, please take him up on this because you would be such a fa fantastic speaker to anywhere. I mean, just students in general, but to occupational therapy professional schools, um, you better be um, contacting Steve. So wealth of information. Thank you so much, Steve. Everyone have a fabulous day or night, depending on when you're listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's show, which is sponsored by our Therapy Business Builder Program, where we help healthcare professionals start the business of their dreams from the ground up. Also, be sure to join our free Next Level Occupational Therapy Facebook group. And for even more support, guidance, and training, check out our Next Level Visionary Membership Group. Time to level up, occupational therapy professionals.